This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. Welcome back to Knowledge at Wharton here on Sirius XM 111, business radio powered by the Wharton School. Thanks for spending part of your day with us. As if the Cambridge Analytica scandal wasn't bad enough, now comes word that the social media giant Facebook has had an agreement with at least 60 device makers like Amazon, Google, Apple, Samsung, Microsoft, and many others to share personal data of Facebook users. It has, uh, also has a sharing agreement with at least four Chinese companies, one of which has been flagged by U.S. intelligence officials. To say that this latest news is concerning might very well be an understatement. Jennifer Goldbeck joins us. She's director of the Social Intelligence Lab at the University of Maryland. She's also a professor of information studies there. Also with us, Andrea Matwishin, professor of law and professor of computer science at Northeastern University. She is also an affiliate scholar at the Center for Internet and Society at Stanford Law School. Jennifer, Andrea, as always, great to have you both with us today. Thanks. Good to be here. Thank you. Andrea, uh, with your background in, in government, uh, give us your thoughts on on this latest news of Facebook, uh, you know, having these relationships with companies. Well, the bigger picture story is one that we see in security regularly, which is the uncomfortable interrelation and intertwining of private sector information control and security and public sector information security. So the risks are reciprocal, and we need to, in all cases, whether it's this or uh, the company planning their rollout strategy and their security strategy, think about the way that the code itself and the data that's being shared can render the users of uh, the products and the people attached to information vulnerable. And in, in this case, we have Facebook uh allegedly sharing information, or I guess they've confirmed it now, with uh, various manufacturers of headsets and other companies, including one which intelligence has flagged uh, because of their connections to Chinese banks that are state-owned, as well as their founder being a former People's Liberation Army engineer. Um, And so the exact nature of the relationship we haven't quite sussed out yet. Uh, Facebook is alleging that they used technological measures to limit the access to the particular data by keeping the data on the handsets and uh, with a greater degree of control by users and by Facebook, and it never ended up on the servers of these companies. But um, certainly there are some legitimate questions that I think members of Congress will want answers to. What is the normal criteria that a company would be going through in terms of understanding, you know, the types of relationships that other companies would be having? In this case, you know, the the, the connections to uh, to the, the state government in China, but also, uh, as we saw with ZTE, the connections to selling uh, their products uh, in Iran, which obviously was a was a big problem, uh, which seemingly now is is turned around in the last 48 hours. Yes. So on the private sector side, it's certainly usual for companies to do diligence on their future business partners. And that may include uncomfortable questions about other companies that are uh, already in place as pre-existing business relationships. Governments will 
always ask questions or should always ask questions about other types of relationships that may present uh, security risks. So, for example, there was recently a deal that uh, Canada and BlackBerry did not do because of security risks that were perceived to be somewhat parallel, presenting intelligence concerns. So that kind of diligence is is, uh, relatively common, particularly when there are sensitive information assets at stake. Jen, how how does this resonate with, with you? This uh, this uh, this knowing that uh, there have been these many types of sharing agreements with Amazon or with Amazon and Google and, and Facebook. I mean, one, I'm not surprised, <laughs> uh, but two, you know, I think Andrea hit on one really important point there. One of Facebook's arguments about why this isn't quite as bad as we are all saying it is, is that they're saying, well, you know, this personal data, which is very much Cambridge Analytica style, not just the data of the person who's using Facebook, but also the data of their friends. Yeah, that's being shared, but it's only staying on the device. So it's not going to the servers of these companies. And it just makes me ask this question that I feel like I have been asking over and over again for a year and a half, which is, is Facebook really that naive as to think all these companies are just obeying the rules? That's what they did with Cambridge Analytica. They said, well, you know, they told us they weren't doing anything bad, and then they told us they deleted the data, so we believed them, and they didn't. And so I would be shocked in this case if all of these manufacturers that they have agreements with where Facebook's saying, well, yeah, we the information's only on the phones. It didn't go to the servers. I'd be shocked if it didn't end up on the servers. Uh, right. You know, it's very easy to build technology to grab data off phones. Uh, We've had whole conversations about that, about how apps harvest data off phones. And I'd be really surprised if these companies don't. But Facebook, you know, I don't know where to land on it because there's so many smart people that work at Facebook. I have to think they have considered the implications of, of all these things from what we're talking about now to sharing the data like Cambridge Analytica to the election stuff, they must have thought about yet that, yet they haven't really taken the steps that a company should have if they think they're going to be abused in that way. So, it you know, it just feels like another one of these instances where, gosh, Facebook, are, are you really being naive about this or do you just not care? Well, I was going to say, what what do you think ends up being the impact? Because after the, the Cambridge Analytica uh, stuff came out, uh, a lot of people were wondering whether or not we were going to see a uh, a large exodus from Facebook of, of people because they were worried about their uh, their personal data. Uh, we didn't really see that. We did see, you know, here and there instances of, of people deciding to get off of Facebook. But, you know, the reaction of the consumer seems to be a little bit more tepid than, than probably some people would would have figured. Yeah, you know, I think it's hard because as consumers, the value that we get from social media is that it's a place where all of our friends are, and all of our friends are on Facebook for, you know, for a lot of us. And so where are you going to go if you go off Facebook and be able to talk to your friends? It's really hard for people to leave. But what I think is going to happen is not a mass exodus, but rather it's starting to bring more and more governmental attention to Facebook. They've had this pattern of just incrementally responding with, well, we changed this or we changed that or we fixed this every single time something comes out. And it's becoming clear that those little incremental changes aren't solving the problem. And so I think Facebook is inevitably marching towards a space where they're going to be much more closely watched and regulated. And in this case, we're seeing the consent decree that they had about user privacy is now, you know, being brought into question with respect to this. So I I think regulation's coming, and 
it wouldn't have to have come if they had responded to this more aggressively. Andrea? I agree with everything uh, that, that Jen is saying about the looming specter of, of regulation, because uh, at this point, I think the vibe that we see from members of Congress and from other regulators is a question of whether there is uh, a broader uh, shared sense of data governance and protection at the company that maps onto what users expect and what regulators expect. Uh, we see these questions about whether uh, corporate ethos or a, a philosophy of management uh, is a fit for what we as consumers or as uh, regulators might expect in other areas of law, too. So, for example, in securities regulation, we often uh, look at insider trading cases or other conduct and there's a question of whether people are skirting right up to the line. Are they looking for that line and trying to go right up to it? Or are yep. they taking a step back and asking what the ethical choice is and how to avoid approaching that line? And that paradigm of whether you try to push the buck and, and push your practices all the way to the legal limit and exploit that gray area, or whether you self-restrain in order to not raise concerns and trust challenges in your relationship with both your customers and regulators, that's a mindset that comes from the top of the company. And so the management uh, approach that is being set by the officers and directors of the company increasingly looks like it is at odds with what the user base and what regulators hope to see from the company. Would we be talking about this specific story if Cambridge Analytica had not occurred? I think we we might be talking about it, but it might not be with uh, the history and context that we have as yet another instance of data sharing that raises concerns about abuse of information and unanticipated repurposing. So each of these instances raises individual concerns, but when they are aggregated together, they start to tell a story about a corporate culture. And that's what I think regulators are reacting to. Jen? I totally agree. I think fundamentally this is a problem of transparency on Facebook's part. Because all of these examples that we're talking about are consumers being surprised at how their data is being shared and oftentimes being shared in ways that Facebook kind of explicitly has said it wouldn't be shared, right? Like yeah. they told us after Cambridge Analytica, no, your friend's data is not shared. Oh, except now we just find out that it is shared with, you know, these companies. And so, you know, I'm not sure that Facebook even understands as a company all the ways that people's data is shared. Like Zuckerberg seemed confused about it when he was talking to Congress. And look, it's a big organization. There's tons of ways that they interact with platforms through apps, with devices, on the web, through their API. They may really not have a handle on it, but they're really going to need to nail that down and be extremely clear with people about all of these details because I think it's that surprise and upset and feeling like you were misled that's taking us down this path where Facebook's really taking a beating. Well, how much has the, the concept of data sharing changed realistically, Jen, even in the last year or two? Yeah, a, a lot. I think people are becoming more aware, and we're seeing it 
certainly not just with Facebook, but with uh, other social media platforms, with our devices, you know, how much are apps on our smartphones taking off and sharing, and how is it being used. And, and this is something that when we've talked about privacy, kind of throughout the whole space of really the web, has been an issue that people don't worry about it too much until something really bad happens. And, you know, that was true with using privacy settings in the first place. And now we're starting to see, oh, you look at the election stuff and the Russian meddling and the Cambridge Analytica and all of these things, and you start to go, oh, like now I'm really seeing repercussions, right? There's real impact of my data being shared in ways I didn't know. And I think that has really changed the public ecosystem where it's not just, oh, okay, that might be bad, to, oh, here are real concrete implications of my data being shared in ways that aren't clear. Andrea? I agree, and I think that the pace of the ability of technology to connect various databases to each other has raised some concerns for users because of the speed with which they see their actions in physical space or on the web get translated into pushed advertising. Um, and because of the connections of that conduct to advertising and the relationships that underpin the shared databases are not transparent to users, we don't have a data provenance right of the ability to really click on an ad and figure out why we're getting that ad in a robust way. Facebook claims they, they do a little of that, but uh, there recently have been critiques that they're sort of providing the lowest common denominator information, not the specific information that users are really hoping for uh, of the chain of data sharing that renders that ad. Uh, but if you look at conversations among users, there is speculation that Facebook says is completely unfounded, that ads are a little too close for comfort to conversations that users yeah. are having. And so yeah. there are concerns among users that there may be some sort of microphone access that they don't understand. And Facebook uh, denies that. And whether it's technologically true or not, it's signaling that users have a trust barrier and that the way that these technologies are functioning are causing concern and discomfort at this shrinking zone of privacy and disconnected uh, conduct when a user does not want a particular technology property to have access to certain information uh, and they don't understand why uh, the content that they're getting seems to indicate that the company may have that information. So then uh, does it surprise you that we haven't seen a bigger backlash against Facebook of people deciding to to leave the social media platform because of these issues, Andrea? Well, so that's where uh, I keep hoping there'll be some innovation to help us along. Part of the problem is that the venture capital ecosystem is so driven by data leveraging. Yeah. And, and that is certainly uh, the way that in the last 10 plus years, we've gotten maximum uh, value creation, uh, to use their sort of terminology, around these kinds of companies that are they're data intensive. But as we're starting to see with the GDPR rollout and the way that some companies, like, for example, the Washington Post, are innovating by creating new business models that are ad-free and privacy protective, there is a market space for a set of companies that 
offer a very boring subscription model where they robustly promise not to engage in the data harvesting practices that trouble people. They bind themselves contractually, and they uh, have a degree of transparency that makes users comfortable. They will potentially never see the kind of revenues that Facebook generates, but uh, in terms of being able to have a solid revenue stream, it's the most straightforward business model ever because they'll be paying customers right away and transferring, porting the data from Facebook into a place like that, which is uh, something akin to a, uh, a LinkedIn version maybe without the additional uh, connecting going on behind the scenes. That's really what consumers want. They just want a place where they can hang out with their friends and share pictures and share information and not worry about who's uh, aggregating the information behind the scenes in order to, to push uh, products at them and jump to conclusions about their proclivities or purchasing habits or future diseases they may have. And in a perfect world, Jennifer, that would be okay, but obviously this is not a perfect world, and there are so many people out there, and we see it every day, uh, that are looking to try and take advantage one way or another on this information. And I, I guess it, it it begs the question of, do we need to have a, a rethink on the, these types of, of media platforms moving forward, especially considering we're moving even farther into their uh, relevance in our society? Yeah, I think we do. I, I love the points that Andrea just brought up, and I, I hope we start seeing things move that way. And, you know, GDPR is definitely helping push that. But I think what we're going to see is really a two-fronted approach that would have to drive this change. One is regulation, and, you know, Andrea talked about GDPR. Yeah. On top of that, you know, I think not in the next couple of years, but maybe in the next five, we're going to start seeing some more regulation about transparency around AI, which is also driving a lot of this advertising and answering some of those questions that Andrea mentioned, like, why did I get this ad? How did you make this decision? I think we're going to see some regulations around that, which may push a little bit on companies. But I also think that we're going to see a push, I really hope, <laughs> from some tech that allows us to protect some of our data when we're sharing it on these platforms. So it becomes harder for social media companies and advertisers to aggregate it and use it to make money. So this is not an idea that would work, but just to give an idea, imagine that everything you post on Facebook is encrypted. They don't understand what it means. It just looks like a bunch of garbage to them, but your friends have a key and they can look at it unencrypted. So everybody you want to see it can. It's completely useless to anyone else. That would push Facebook to think about other ways to make money if they couldn't use your data that way. And, you know, that's a really heavy-handed and technologically difficult way to do it. But I think there is now a demand for tech that will allow you to protect your data from the social media companies and the aggregators. And if that really starts to take off, which would, I think, basically just require something that's easy to use and it works well, yeah. um, that, I think, would be another front that's going to push for these alternative business models. Because I think it's right. A lot of people just want a super basic way to use Facebook. And if you, you know, charge 
for subscriptions to some of the fancier services, some of the new features. Like that, I think, is something that they could make money on. Uh, maybe not hand over fist like they're doing now, but they could remain a really viable company making money like that. And, and there, I entry, there's so much want from the from the corporate side to be involved in these platforms. Uh, that, you know, it has become, in many cases, in terms of advertising, it's become the go-to. They would rather advertise to be able to get their message out on these platforms than they would, say, the traditional TV networks. Yes, and that's about the scope of uh, the audience that would interact with the particular ads, and there's data that uh, demonstrates that sometimes response rates are superior as a consequence of Internet-mediated advertising than they would be from other more traditional means of advertising. So there are certainly business drivers that come from the advertising end of things uh, as to why the success of uh, Facebook and Google and other advertising-driven companies has reached the pinnacle that it has. Um, And there's certainly a space for advertising in our society. Commercial speech is a protected concept that goes all the way back to the founding of the republic. But there's also a space for a uh, a customer-consumer-chosen advertising-free zone. What has happened across time is that we are losing those protected spaces of quiet time uh, that – we used to have that were advertising free. And that's something that's um, troubling to some consumers. For example, on airplanes, we now have uh, screens in front of us and some uh, airlines push forced advertising at you that you cannot turn off when you're sitting on a plane. So we're certainly uh, evolving in our advertising models toward more intrusive forms than what existed in the past. Past, And that's, I think, uh, part of the excellent point that, that Jen is making about needing to take a step back and really evaluate whether the evolution of these business models is leading us to a good place as a society and how we calibrate those various rules to preserve the traditional lines of some of the uh, protected spaces that are uh, chosen by consumers so that we don't turn into one big dystopic ad everywhere we go and that you can still, you know, be ad free in inside your own home and uh, inside some other places. We have about a minute left. Andrea, do you expect that we're going to have to we're going to be seeing Mark Zuckerberg back in front of Congress because of this latest revelation? Revelation, excuse me. I, I think so. I, I think that uh, both Senator Warner and uh, uh, Senator Toom had have referenced uh, concerns about the uh, lack of complete information as they perceive it in the last round of testimony. So I think I would expect to see him to see Zuckerberg back in. Jen? Uh, I agree, and I'm going to be watching. Hopefully he'll do better this time. <laughs> Thank you both for coming on again. Greatly appreciate it. Thank you, Jen. Thank you, Andrew. All the best. Thanks. Thanks. For more insight from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.